This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. Amen. Amen. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome stuff. I'm excited about all the great things that are happening. I'm going to jump in. We talked last week. Well, the last several weeks, we've been doing a lot of talking about mindsets and about managing our mind. And how many of y'all know when your mind's messed up, everything else is messed up? Been there, everything else. I don't care. You can be in perfect health, but if your mind ain't right, if your mindset ain't right, it's like everything else isn't right. And so we started talking about limiting beliefs, and we talked about the, one of the limiting beliefs being this idea of, of comparison, and, and that there's a lie behind every limiting belief, right? So a limiting belief will, will feed you something that's not true to get you into bondage, you know? And if we bite it, we take it, then we find ourselves bound. And so the limiting belief we talked about behind comparison is this idea that if I compare, my life will be better, right? So, but the lie, that's the lie, but the truth of it is that your life isn't better when you compare because the moment you compare, you're either going to be puffed up in pride because you're better or reduced to envy because you're not, you know, you're not on the same level as somebody else. We also talked about this mindset of, Pastor Mark, he's talking about this mindset of perfectionism and this, this idea really that rides beneath that, that sits beneath that mindset is the idea that my worth is attached to my works. And so therefore my works must be perfect. As a matter of fact, those around me must rise to my level of perfection or my standard of perfection in order for me to be okay with it. And one of the things he recognizes that the scripture says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that He's already made everything, he's already made a way for you that you can be right with him and right in your own life and that he will, through his sanctification process, make you more like Jesus over a lifetime, not in the daytime. And then we talked last week about the, the idea of having a pleaser mindset. And the pleaser mindset has this belief that sits beneath it that says, essentially, I'm only as valuable as other people see me as. So therefore, I spend my time and my energy pleasing them so I can manage your perception of me. And that also is a lie. And how many understand that we don't have to do all those extra things to be loved or to be accepted? Because the scripture clearly already tells us that we are already accepted in the beloved. And the beloved is in Christ Jesus. So if you know Christ, you're already accepted before God. And here's the amazing part about it. When he accepts you, it doesn't matter who else rejects you. Everything else is great. I don't care. You don't like me. You don't, I'm good with it because I know he accepts me. As a matter of fact, when you understand how deeply God accepts you, you can even accept yourself better. So you don't have to beat up on yourself. If God can accept you, then why am I beating up on me? And so we're going to go on this morning and talk a, bit, a little bit. This is our final Sunday. We'll talk a bit about diminishing the doubter mindset. When many years ago... Uh, I don't know, five or ten years ago, I was, I frequent the UK uh, for ministry and for leadership development. And I was in, in London and had done some meetings and then went up to, to Birmingham, which is about three hours away from London in the UK, and did some work there and this kind of thing. And, and so the way I got back and forth this three-hour distance by bus was by bus. And so coming back, I got on their equivalent of, of Greyhound. And so I went to the, the depot there and was on there. 
And just as soon as the bus took off, I realized I had to go to the bathroom. Now, that wasn't so bad. The bad part was that the bathroom on the bus was out of order. Mm. Look at your neighbor and say, mm. <laughs> so I said, oh, God. <laughs> Only two and a half miles left to go. So I'm there. So then, so after it gets off the, I can remember, like, yesterday, after it gets off their version of the freeway, and you're going through town, back in London, going through the streets to get to the actual bus depot, you know it's getting bad when you're looking at your clock and you kind of just sitting there just tight, praise God. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, God, as soon as we get to this bus depot, I'm going to be the first person from the back of the bus out the door. So here we finally get to the bus depot, it seemed like forever, finally get there, and I'm running because I got to go from, yeah, just like that. I'm running through the terminal from the outside around, way down where the door actually was. And then I'm like, I don't know this terminal. It's a huge place. I'm like, where is, they don't call it the bathroom. They, they call it the toilet. I said, where the toilet? They're like, it's that way. It's that way. So, and my worst nightmare came to fruition. Of oh, a second worst nightmare. <laughs> uh, I get there. It's a turnstile table, whatever the, the thing you got to get through. But you have to have money to get through it. So I had money. But it was taking coins specifically. So I said, oh, okay. Well, I got, some, I got something, something in my pocket. So I'm pulling out. The, now, mind you, I don't have my glasses on. I can see y'all fine. I just can't see what's right in front of me. So I'm taking out their change, and I don't know their change in, in the sense of, or their coins in the sense of this, this one here is worth 25 cents, that's worth 10 or a nickel or whatever. I got about five different shapes in my hand and a few different colors. So I'm sitting there, and at this point, I'm about to just explode. So I'm just sitting there. So I'm literally down on my knees at the turnstile trying to get my change out of my pocket, and I'm just like, oh, God. So I'm just throwing, throwing the coins in, just throwing and pushing, waiting for it to click. Because I don't know how much I put in. I'm just putting everything I have, every last coin, just digging. Uh, uh, uh. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God, I done use all the coins that I have. And, and so, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, how am I going to get in? And I realized at that moment, when I look back, I realized that, that I had enough, you know, of, 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 of dollars, American dollars, but I didn't have enough change. And then I, I had enough of their pounds, their dollars. I had enough of their pounds, but I didn't have enough change. And I had credit. I had a debit card on me right there, but I didn't have enough change. And I had, a, I had the other, you know, uh, plastic money charge card, and I still didn't have enough change. And I realized there's a couple of things I took away from that. One of them is how often we try to throw money at things that require change. And so we don't solve them by throwing money at them. We solve them by having change. But then I, I, hit, I hit this, this thing that I recognize that sometimes it's, it's in trouble. It takes trouble or troubling situation to realize that you didn't change enough before you hit the trouble to actually get through the trouble. And to take it one further, I realized that it wasn't that I didn't have enough money. I had plenty of money on me. 
I had plenty of money on me. The problem was not only did I not have enough change, but the problem was that my money was divided. My money was divided between American money and British money, between this currency and that currency, this country and that country, this allegiance and loyalty to this allegiance and loyalty. And I want you to understand something this morning. That's exactly what doubt does in our minds. It divides our allegiance and our loyalty so that we are split, that when we need our faith the most, we don't have enough. But you don't really know it until you hit something that stops you. And you got to (laughs) go. And so I want to talk just a bit this morning with you because it's so easy for us as believers to allow doubt to creep into our minds. And that our allegiance begins to be split. Our loyalty of what and who we trust begins to be split between where we're going in Christ and where we came from. Between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between what the world says and what the word says. And I believe this morning God's got a word for you that will set you free so that you don't get caught short, double-minded, not having enough faith for your life to change. And so what I know is that if you struggle this morning with unnecessary doubts, I got a word for you. If you have struggled with particularly when you're in trouble or in a trial with thinking God doesn't care about you. And you notice if you go backwards, you notice, you know, that's the thought that comes when I'm in trouble. That's my, that's my go-to when God doesn't deliver me yesterday. My go-to is that God doesn't love me. He doesn't see me. He doesn't care about me. And I begin to doubt God. If that's where you've been, then this message is for you. If you vacillate between two different choices to the point in general that you have a struggle making decisions this morning and leading you to indecision, this message is for you. And if you struggle with an inconsistent walk with Christ. I got a word for you this morning. I'm going to show you how you don't need more faith. I'm going to show you why you don't need more faith. I'm going to show you how to receive God's wisdom so that when you go through your trial, or if you're in a trial right now, you can receive God's wisdom, you can get the insight and the answers that you need to move forward, and how you can be free. Watch this from a doubter mindset today. And I mean today. You ready? Are y'all ready? You ain't ready. Y'all ready? All right, you ready. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. Here we go. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy. Uh huh. When you fall, not if, but when you fall into various trials. So if you're worrying or wondering about why you're going through something today and how God allowed it, because he never told you he wouldn't. When you fall into various trials. But he says this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable 
in all his ways. So we're in, the, we're in the epistle of James. Epistles is just simply a Bible word for the word letter. And James is an apostle over the church in Jerusalem. We're back in the first century. And Christians at this point, or Jewish believers have become Christians. Or Jewish people have become Christians. And they have been scattered around the Roman Empire. And James is writing a letter from Jerusalem to these Christians who are in different places experiencing great tribulation and great watches persecution. And back in those days, uh, and it's still in other parts of the world still to today, there was physical persecution as well as persecution where it may cost you your life to name the name of Christ. And so these new believers are struggling. Remember, they don't have the New Testament in their hand like you do today. And they're struggling to know what they should do with their faith and what they should do with their life in light of all the trials that they're having. You should also know that James is the half-brother of Jesus, would have been... uh, Mary's one of Mary's other children with Joseph. And so he's writing to them, telling them, I know that you're going through some struggles right now, and I know that you're going through a fiery trial right now, and I know that you don't know what to do, but even when you don't know what to do, and even when it's uncomfortable, I I want you to understand that God is with you in that trial. And even through the hardships of life and the physical world around you, God will use those natural hardships and those physical hardships around you to develop spiritual characteristics in you, like patience. And he says, if you don't know what to do, then he says, I got a secret for you. I got an answer for you. He says, if you struggle with not knowing what to do, it's not that you need more knowledge, but you need wisdom. You know, we live in the knowledge age, information age, but we we got more knowledge and and more information, but more fools, too, because we don't have any wisdom. And you know what I'm talking about, because if you're on social media, you're like, that's just foolish. Why would you do something? You know, let me give you a good picture of one. Why would you stand on top of a mountain? That's exactly what I saw people do, taking a selfie. That's foolish. It was planned. I I thought that through. You have me see? All right, he got 300 in the house. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) So, I could have just used the steps, huh? Anyway, so... (laughs) So you see a lot of foolishness because it's not that we don't have enough knowledge. It's that we don't have the wisdom. And wisdom is the execution of knowledge and what to do with it. And God's wisdom is higher than man's wisdom. So he says to them, he says, I know you don't know what to do. And I know you're going through. He said, but all you got to do is ask God for wisdom and God will give you wisdom. He will give it to you liberally. He'll give it to you abundantly. He'll give it to you generously. But he also gives it to you conditionally. And it's only one condition. The condition is real simple. That he that comes to God must come and ask of God without doubting. So the condition to receive this wisdom when you're in a struggle, to receive this wisdom when you're in a trial, to receive this wisdom when you're stuck and you can't get through, he says, I'm going to give you that wisdom, but you have got to ask in faith, somebody shout in faith, without doubting. Now, why is that? Why is faith such a big deal? God, you know I'm stuck. You know I got to go to the bathroom. We can deal with the faith part later. Just get me through it. That's how we think in our trials. And let me say to you that God is not a transactional God that all we do is say, God, I need coins to get through. I need chains to get through. And it just magically appears. God has absolutely no interest in being transactional with you. So the foundation of our relationship with God is trust. 
And the Bible word for trust and confidence is faith. As a matter of fact, Hebrews tells us that he that comes to God must first believe that he is. And that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. For without faith, you can't please God. You can have a degree and not please God. You can have wonderful children and not please God. You can have a house on a hill and not please God. You can serve in the church or the army and not please God. Because without faith, it's impossible. Because God said, it's not about what you do. It's how you trust me or if you trust me or not. So James tells them, if, I know you're going through. If you need wisdom, you ask God, and God will give you wisdom gener generously. And when James brings up this idea of God giving his wisdom, he's not just saying that and pulling it from a hat. He's saying that and pulling it from Genesis chapter 3. You may remember Genesis chapter 3. That was in the beginning after God made male and female, Adam and Eve. He said, all right, y'all, I got everything I got. Everything I have is yours. You are my children. You're part of my family. Anything I got is yours. Just don't go in my top cabinet over there because that stuff is not for you. All the parents thought I'm talking about. He said, don't go touching that tree that's in the middle of the garden. He said, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and, e of e good and evil. He says, leave that one alone. But everything else that I got is yours, everything else, all the trees, all the cattle, everything else that you see, that's all yours. But the enemy comes and, and, and says to Eve, he says, uh, mm, you, why don't you have some of that fruit off that tree? They, oh, no, 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 no. God told us that we, can't, we can have all that, but we can't touch that. And essentially what Satan says is, yeah. But you know what's really true? He says, what's really true is that God is holding back on you. Mm -hmm. God is holding back on you, which means if you're going to get what's rightfully yours, if you're going to stake your claim to what you could have, you got to do it yourself. And so Eve takes of the fruit. She goes over to her husband and says, hey, let's make it a family ordeal. He takes of the fruit, and the both of them eat the fruit, and the Bible says that their eyes are open. But when she looked at the fruit, let me rewind. When she looked at the fruit, she saw it was good for the eyes, good, good for food. So, in other words, it wasn't a poisonous fruit. She wasn't going to die for eating it. It was pleasant to look at with the eyes, and watch this. It was a fruit that would make her wise. So when James is going back to this, this thing of wisdom, he's not just talking from the blank. He's going way back to the beginning when Adam and Eve had a choice, the same one that we have every day, when they had a choice, am I going to depend on my own self or am I going to depend on the holy God? Am I going to put confidence in him? Am I going to put my trust in him or am I going to put my trust in myself? Is my faith in him or is my faith in me? And so what James is saying, he says, no, no, you can't come to God and expect to get something from God if you don't have absolute confidence, independence, and faith on God. That there is no middle ground because the moment, watch this, the moment Eve, the moment Eve doubted what God said, her loyalty split into two different currencies. Did you catch what I just said? Her loyalty split, her allegiance split into two different currencies. 
There's a part of Eve that wanted to enjoy all the blessing of God, and there's a part of Eve that wanted to do it herself and to find right and wrong for herself. And we live in that world today. You, you know we live in a world that wants to define right and wrong for ourselves. Uh, I want to show you something. So when we think about trust in God, it's sort of like sitting in this chair. When, and just what you're doing right now, right now, this chair and the pew you're sitting on is what's holding you up right now. The only reason why you're not on the floor and falling down is because you are trusting something to uphold you. And you're not trusting it partially. You're trusting it completely if you're seated. The minute I get up, I'm no longer trusting this chair to hold me up. I'm trusting something else. What am I trusting? My legs. There's a point here. You cannot, watch this, you cannot, let me say it this way, Eve, the moment Eve started doubting God, either it wasn't a, a day later or a second later, it was in the moment that she stopped trusting, that she started doubting God, she started trusting something else. Because you cannot doubt God without putting faith in something else. Else, it happens at the same moment. Oh, y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. You cannot sit and rest on that chair at the same time that you're standing on your feet. The moment you shift and stand on your feet and you doubt the chair is the moment you trust you. It happens in the same moment, which means that it's not a matter of not having enough faith. It is a matter of misplacing your faith. It's not that you need more. It's you got to ask yourself, what have I put my faith in outside of Christ? What else am I confident outside of Christ? Whose word have I believed over Christ's word? Whose direction have I fallen over Christ's direction? Where is my trust at? It ain't that I need more faith, God. Where have I misplaced the faith you gave me? Because you can't doubt one thing without trusting another. Let me say that again. You can't doubt one thing without trusting another. You can even look at all the craziness that's happening with the coronavirus, whatever people say online, I don't care which side you're on, whatever, it doesn't even matter to me. All I know is that when you shifted or when a person shifts, it's because they trusted something else. Another report, another thing. Every time that we doubt something, it's because we shift our trust into something else. Which tells me something. Which tells me something. You don't need to figure out why you're doubting. You just need to find out what you're trusting. Oh, why am I doubting? I just, God, help me not to doubt anymore. You don't, he, don't need to help you, he doesn't need to help you not to doubt. He needs to help you discover what you place your trust in. Because wherever you place it, it's still there. Ooh. A lot of people see doubt as a feeling. And I'm going to argue just for a quick second that it's really not a feeling. It's a decision. It's less about if you feel like it's going to work out or not and more about where you put your trust at. Did you catch that? 
Because what happens is the doubter mindset, watch this. So that when he says not to be double-minded, it actually in the original language says double-souled. It's like splitting you the essence of who you are and putting half of, it's like putting the essence of who you are and banking half of that on God and half of that on yourself or whoever the thing is that you put the trust in. And what James is saying is if you want to get victory in your life and if you want to receive all that God has for you, you've got to find where you've placed your trust at, get the other part of it and put it back into the kingdom of God. Because what this does in our lives, it causes us to compartmentalize our lives. Oh, Jesus. And split the errors of our lives that I trust God Versus I trust me. Y'all ain't going to say nothing because a lot of folks have no problem trusting God for their spiritual life, but they don't trust God for their sex life. Y'all are quiet now. We have no problem trusting God for our tuition money, but we, we have a struggle trusting God for our tithe money. We have no problem trusting God for our vocation, but we have a problem trusting God with our volunteerism. There's areas of our life that I say, God, I trust you with this part, but I don't trust you with that part. And God said, I want all of it. All. Look at your name and say all. He says, and, and when we don't give him all, we're double souled. Half of us believing that Jesus is real and that he is Lord and that the mention of your name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And the other half of us saying, it ain't going, if it's going to happen, it's up to me. He says, and when you're like that, or if you're like that, he says, you begin to be driven by the changing winds of political correctness. The changing winds of an economy in a recession. The changing winds of other people's opinions. The changing winds of emotions and desires. The changing winds of what other folks have to say. The changing winds of CNN and Fox. You find yourself moving back and forth, vacillating between different winds in your life. He says, disturbed like the waves of the sea, rising in hope than sinking in despair. Rising in hope on Friday, sinking in despair on Monday. Rising in hope at the beginning of a new year. Happy New Year. Sinking in despair in the middle of the year the following year. Rising in hope when a door opens up. Sinking in despair when a door closes. He says, you become unstable like the waves. Now this mindset... All the mindsets we talked about, the limiting beliefs, are all not good for you. This one's the worst one. Let me explain why. Because with this mindset, with this limiting belief, James makes it very clear. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything. So if I have a perfection mindset, at least I can still pray and say, God, help me get through this. If I'm on Instagram and I get watch somebody else and they blow up and I didn't blow up yet and I'm like, oh, God, look at them and look at poor me, at least I can say, God, help me right now. I'm struggling with insecurity and I can get some help from heaven. 
If I got a pleasing mindset and I feel worthless on Wednesday, at least I can stop and say, God, I feel worthless. Will you please minister to me and I can get help from heaven? He says, but with this mindset, he says, you can holler, you can scream, you can spit, you can snot, you can shout, you can roll over. He said, you ain't going to get nothing still because you're double-minded unstable in all your ways. So all of you that got a comparison mindset should be looking at the folks that got a doubter mindset and say, mm-hmm, see, I told y'all. So let's go back. Doubt makes it difficult to trust God. That's why this one doesn't work for you. You can't doubt one thing without trusting another, and doubt is misplaced faith. You catch that? So anytime you doubt, you got to stop and say, where did I put my faith at? It's someplace else. It's misplaced. You should also know that this is the only mindset and limiting belief we've talked about in this whole series that only a believer can have. How is it only a believer can have this one? Because watch this. If we had no faith, if we had no faith, we would never ask God at all. So that means the person that James is talking to already has faith. So that's not an unbeliever. If we had no unbelief, then we wouldn't have any doubt. So what it means simply to be double-minded is to be in the middle between faith and unbelief. And so what I need you to understand is I want to just kind of bring it together to show you simply how God can set you free. The story is told of a little boy. I think he was about five years old, and he was playing, and his mother was in a different room, and she heard him screaming, and she goes running into him, and she realizes that his hand is stuck inside of a vase. And he's crying because he can't get his hand out. And so she tries to pull it. It doesn't come out. She tries again to pull it. It doesn't come out. Finally, she calls his dad, and he comes in. The dad looks at it, he contemplates for a moment, well, let's just break the vase, but there's two problems with that. If you break the vase, you may cause his hand to be cut up. And also, this is a rare vase, and it was very expensive, and it was irreplaceable. Now, he was willing to break it if he had to, but he was trying to figure out a way to get his son's hand out or get it unstuck without breaking the vase. So he finally says to his son, he says, son, we're going to try this one more time. He says, look at my hand. He takes his hand. He says, look at my hand. He says, I want you to stretch out your hand just like this. And in a moment, I'm going to try to pull out. He says, stretch, open your hand and stretch it just like this. And the little boy says, but I can't. If I do, I'm going to let go of the penny. (laughs) Now, they've been going back and forth for 15 minutes, and he's holding his hand like this. Which makes me ask the question, What is it that we're holding so tightly to in our lives that's keeping us stuck, that God wants to get us out of? And and part of that is he said, I want to get you out of this idea that you've got to take matters into your own hands because you don't trust me. I want to bring you out of your penny life into abundant life, and in abundant life, you got to trust me. 
and that anything that you're stuck in, anything you need deliverance from, any trial that you're in, any tribulation you face, any temptation you face, that I'm able to pull you out of it. That there's nothing too hard for God. That my hands are not too short that they cannot save. My arms aren't too short that they cannot deliver. There's no mountain that I can't move. There's no sickness that I can't heal. There's no problem that I can't solve. There's no deliverance that I can't bring. There's nothing I can't raise. What is it that you're holding so tightly to that you're limiting yourself from abundant life in Christ? Because if you're ready to let go of a penny life this morning, I tell you, God wants to upgrade you to a million dollars in Christ. He wants to give you a life that you've never dreamed of living. But the only way to get it is to put all your confidence, all your life, all your hope in Christ. We were out at the barbecue last week. Y'all can come on up. We were out at the barbecue last week. And um, me and my partner, where's my partner? Raise your hand now. There she is. We were playing spades, and we were down miserably. Probably it was my fault, but that's not part of the message. <laughs> and the game was about to be over. And um, there was only one way we could come back. And Mel said, you want to bid a blind six? I said, we ain't got nothing else to lose. So we bid, we bid a blind six. That's what I said. <laughs> Y'all. I love my church. And um, let me tell you something. We, blid, we bid that blind six. Not only did we get the six, we actually got 11 books. But the point of it is this, that's how our faith in God operates. When we get to the end of ourselves, that we say, you know what, it's not about how, what I see in the hand that I've been dealt. You already know the hand that's been dealt me. I trust you with all of it. So I'm just going to bid on everything you got. I'm, I'm begging everything on Jesus. I'm begging everything on faith. I'm begging everything on the word. And I know that God, you'll bring me through, you'll deliver me, you'll cause me to triumph if I just trust you. You're this close to a miracle. You may be behind in your own life. You may be behind the starting block. Maybe you're not where you need to be, but I know a God that's able to accelerate you, that's able to bring you up to where you need to be. Maybe you've been in a place of loss for a long time. It don't take God a long time to straighten things out in your life. When he has all of you, when you give him all of your chips, when you give him all of your cards, it don't take God a long time. He will deliver you. And the psalmist says it this way. He says, give me an undivided heart. Don't let me have two souls. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Because see, when I fear your name, I don't have to fear cancer. When I fear your name, I don't have to fear what the boss can do to me. When I fear your name, I don't have to fear the homeowners association. When I fear your name, I don't have to fear failure. When I fear your name, I don't have to fear the test that I'm going to be taking. When I fear your name, I don't have to fear the coronavirus. When I fear your name, everything else gets back into perspective because I know you can handle it for me. I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet this morning. I want to pray this morning because here's what I know. If you can locate where you've placed your faith at, you have the power to make a decision this morning. 
to take that faith and put it back on Jesus Christ. And you put that faith back in Christ and watch what Christ will do for you. You put that faith back in Christ and you go to God and pray and you say, God, I don't know what to do. I'm facing this challenge in my life. I don't see an answer. Please give me wisdom. I guarantee you on his word, I guarantee you on his name that he will meet you and somehow give you the wisdom that you need to move your life forward. You may be struggling in a relationship and you just don't see how. You don't know how it's going to work. You don't even know what to do with this next step. Or maybe with a child, I'm telling you, if you ask God for wisdom, or maybe you're facing retirement and you don't have enough funds and you're saying, God, I messed up. All these years I could have been saving. All these years I could have been putting away. Or maybe I spent what I did save and I don't have that much runway in front of me. How am I going to make it? And God is able to give you his wisdom. But you got to give him all you. And then you ask him in faith. And I guarantee you, he'll show you and make a way out of no way. That's the kind of God that we serve.